Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki. I'm here as always with John Mitchell. It's the heart of the off season. We're not quite in spring practices for everybody yet. Um, we're well past the signing periods now, and we're kind of sitting in that lull spot where we get to dive into our bag of evergreen topics that, you know, are, are fodder for endless conversation when you're sitting around on bar stools or something in the off season and, uh, just kind of shooting the breeze and thinking football when there's no football to actually watch. So we're going to dive into a couple of these more fun, just random sort of questions uh, today. First, uh, we're going to look at what five Power 5 versus Group of 5 matchups we'd love to see this season if we could, uh, you know, take away all the non-conference scheduling that's already locked into place well years in advance and uh, just set up a great sort of test matchup for a Cinderella story. Um, and then we're going to be looking at stadiums that have never hosted the national championship game, but might be really great venues for it. Just what what are some on each of our lists where we'd really love to see it, where college football isn't normally played, but it would be a great place for it. So... Before we dive in this week, John, I always ask, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to, to record a podcast where we don't have to worry about Colorado screwing it up. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> it's been a couple weeks now we haven't had to think about coaches or anything and and this, that, and the other thing. The carousel has come to a, to a dead stop, and it's kind of nice because I like diving into these a little bit. Uh, you know, just more out there topics, something we don't necessarily have to, you know, we, we can offer our thoughts on it for a change rather than what we, you know, where we think things are going to lie. It's, it, it's all just where, where do your opinions lie? So let's do the, the power five versus group of five first. Um, you know, as somebody who writes about the group of five, I, I love thinking about, hypotheticals for these different teams and what matchups might look like for them. And so I was just thinking if you could see five matchups this year, just, you know, take each team's non-conference schedule and just pick one, you know, game out of the season, erase it and plug this one in for each team, which five would you love to see most? You know, whether it's, you know, finally getting that test against a team that they've often thought about or, you know, just teams that look good this year that could really stand to have the extra test. What, what five stick out to you, John? Well, uh... Or throw me one to start. I got you. The first one that popped in my head, I had this kind of idea that's kind of floated around my mind for a little while now. If a group of five school goes to your stadium. This would be a fun little wrinkle for college football scheduling. If a group of five school goes to your stadium and beats you, then you owe them a return trip to their stadium at a certain point in time. Kind of like a a pro heavyweight boxing match rematch clause or something like that. You have to play them again within the next few years, but you have to go to their house and play them there. So the first one that popped into my mind, I know they've played more recently than this, but maybe the one of the bigger upsets in college football history was App State beating Michigan in 07. So I would love to see Michigan have to go to Boone and take on App State on the road to try to, you know, get that pseudo revenge for that 2007 loss. So I thought that would be pretty fun. That would be fun to see the Wolverines travel down there. Um, I, I I also had App State on my list, but it was not playing playing against Michigan. Um, I'll be honest, some of where my mind went with this as well was who hasn't played before? Because, you know, I love novelty when it comes down to this. And so, you know, I was thinking who are 
the group of five teams that are going to be there in the mix again this year and who are five power five teams that are you know either getting hype or always have hype you know heading into a new season um that we could you know maybe see would this be a legitimate test you know get their regular season test because it doesn't always happen in a bowl game for these teams um so when i was thinking app state i was thinking your beloved crimson tide honestly because you know app state's branded itself as this giant killer you know right out of that michigan game that's been their their you know story and we've seen them take down SEC schools and ACC schools in the recent past, both inside and outside their state. So, you know, and at the same time, they're the Sun Belt's juggernaut right now. And if that conference is going to have a team come out and really challenge for, uh, you know, the group of five slot in a New Year's Six bowl game, it's going to be the Mountaineers. So, you know, I'd love to see Appalachian State play Bama because they're a perennial contender. They're going to be right there in the thick of it again this year, and they've never played before. So how great would it be to see uh, App State head to Tuscaloosa? Yeah, no, I like it. I, I also kind of went from that perspective on a couple others. So I had like a historical kind of thing on my list, but I also had Alabama included. But I had them playing UAB mm. because Alabama and UAB have never played um, against each other in football. Um, and I'd love to see, just from the standpoint of the state that I live in, you know, because these buy games essentially that Alabama and every other Power Five school in the country has every single year, you know, you're contributing to that program's athletic budget. Um, and sometimes you're paying for the entire year's athletic budget for some of these smaller schools. So I've always liked the idea if these buy games were going to happen, that you keep the money kind of in state. So Alabama playing against somebody like UAB or Troy or South Alabama, I think would be good for the overall health of the state. And it would be fun to see Alabama and UAB. What would be really fun is to see that game take place at Legion Field because Alabama used to play uh, a good bit of their home games at Legion Field. And the first Alabama game I went to was in 2002, and it was a season opener at Legion Field against Middle Tennessee State. So it hasn't been that long ago that they were still playing the occasional game in Birmingham. So that's the one that really popped into my mind if we were talking about, you know, matchups like that. Yeah, I would love to see that. Stop ducking it, Alabama Board of Regents. We know you tried to kill the Blazers program altogether. Um, so now that they're alive again, you know, out of the ashes, you know, throw them that lifeline. I think that'd be a great annual series because it'd keep it in the university system as well. I mean, it's all University of Alabama system. So what what better way the to... Uh, to pass the money along than to keep it in house like that. I think that's a great pick. Um, awesome. What, you know, I, you, we're, we've been talking a lot about, you know, your favorite team. So I, I, I got to jump to one of mine now. Um, Oregon and UCF, you know, I, maybe you could call it the Scott Frost bowl or something because, um, you know, these are just two programs that have a long history of, you know, strong offensive programs. Uh, UCF, obviously, more recently. Oregon has a bit longer pedigree with it. But, you know, you can you can go back into earlier periods of strength for, for the Knights and even see that pop up as well. So... I, I think as well, this season especially, with Oregon trying to, to have that bridge from Justin Herbert to their next great championship-level team, um, this would be a great test for a team that's really trying to build around defense especially. Whether it's, you know, we've seen Mackenzie Milton starting to throw a little bit. It's nice to see him even just be able to walk again. 
uh, much less have any thought of playing on a football field again. But whoever's, you know, under center for the Knights, I think they're going to once again be a top 10 offense that lights it up all over the field across the country. And um, Oregon, you know, especially with guys like Kayvon Thibodeau on their their, uh, defensive side of the ball, they got to prove it. And I think that'd be a hell of a test to prove it against. Absolutely. I I like that pick a lot. That would be... A good game. I also had UCF on my list. I thought that was interesting. Um, <clears throat> I kind of kept it in state, though. Uh, I, I was looking, I was doing a little bit of research before we recorded tonight, and I noticed that in the history of the programs, UCF combined has played Florida, Miami, and Florida State five times total. So I thought that was kind of baffling that it's been that few times that the big boys of the states have ponied up and played the Knights. So pick your pick your round-robin opponent. I don't really care whether it's Florida, Miami, or Florida State. Maybe, you know, have a, have a mini playoff in the regular season where Florida plays Miami or Florida State, UCF plays the other, and then the winner plays the other one, and that's your state champion or something like that. Give the Knights a chance to, to show that, you know, they're – the best team in the state of Florida, which arguably a couple years ago, they probably were. And, you know, they've certainly earned the respect and the ability to compete at that kind of level. So I thought that would be interesting if we could put UCF against one of those teams. Also against Nebraska was in my mind, again, because of the Scott Frost um, bowl, like you said, with Oregon, having them play Nebraska and seeing you know, maybe for Scott Frost that the grass wasn't necessarily greener on the Lincoln-Nebraska side of the fence. Yeah, totally. I love the idea of having a state playoff like that. I, um, you know, I, I, it was like a month and a half ago I did that in my Sunday morning quarterback column where I looked at state champions for all 59 states with an asterisk because uh, obviously Alaska has no college football teams so kind of hard to have a state champion there they just kind of have nobody by default um but it's always a a a chance to to watch some of the the crazy footage of people playing in the snow up there so you know uh but yeah I, i i think the idea of actually getting to play it out on the field rather than just the conjecture that goes into lists like that one i made are, it, it's absolutely awesome. I'd love to see us have just a definitive, these are our state champions because, you know, the top four, the top six teams or whatever. And you could even do that, have, you know, the top six or top seven teams play down so that you get to have, you know, your South Floridas and your Florida Atlantics get that shot as well and maybe play up so they're in the you know, they all play for the spot to play against Florida, Florida State, Miami, or whatnot. But however you arrange it, I love it. Let's get that. Let's get on it. Come on, Florida football. All right. So what is that? We've each got three down on the table now, right? I think that's where we're at. Actually, no, I think I've only listed two, to be honest. So let me throw one out there now. Yeah, I started, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, You know, Luke Fickle decided to stay at Cincinnati. Decided not to go to Michigan State, where we, we thought he was going to go. He obviously thinks Cincinnati, something's big is building in Cincinnati. Um. And I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, Cincinnati was great last year. They've been great the past couple years. I think if you're looking at teams who have a real shot in the group of five once again this year, the Bearcats are right there at the head of the list. Um, you know, they've never played Clemson. I'd love to see them play the Tigers this year because, you know, they're a team that's built – it, as much from the defensive side of the ball as the offensive side of the ball. And I'd love to see what they could do against a guy like Trevor Lawrence and whether they can actually stack up against 
you know, the, the level of talent that gets recruited there by the Tigers. So that's one I threw down on the list as well that I just, you know, it's obviously a pipe dream. Clemson's never going to, you know, drop the, you know, whatever one double-A school they have on their schedule to jump at the, the opportunity to schedule the Bearcats. But how much fun would it be if they did that? It would certainly improve their strength of schedule. You know, that was a big negative towards Clemson all last season, right, was that they didn't really play anybody in the ACC uh, because the conference has been down and their out-of-conference schedule was light considering probably, you know, Texas A&M was a decent opponent, but that was a home, and South Carolina was a four-win team. So that really hurt as well. So, yeah, I mean, it would honestly be smart for Clemson and give them probably a little bit more margin for error than they'll have next season because those concerns probably haven't been alleviated at this point um i have another one two teams that have never played before lsu versus boise state i thought would be kind of cool you know we've seen boise state um many times cross its state lines go across the country play a power five team and win you know we saw them beat uh the likes of oregon the likes of georgia and teams like that in the regular season before. So regardless of whether that game was played in Death Valley on a Saturday night or at a neutral site or even at Boise State, I think it would be fun to watch the defending national cha- or watch Boise State get the crack at the defending national champions next season. Uh, particularly with you know LSU losing a decent bit of guys and Boise State bringing back you know Hank Bachmeyer at quarterback after a really promising freshman season. Uh, the Broncos should be in line to be one of the top teams, shockingly enough, in the group of five next season. So that would give them a really huge opportunity to potentially elevate into the playoff race if they were able to somehow shock the world and beat the Tigers. Yeah, you know, Boise State is always right there on the the preseason list of teams that you have to watch out for in you know, whether we were talking about the BCS busters back in that era or the group of five hopefuls and this sort of access into the New Year's Six these days. Um, so, yeah, I think the Broncos are a team you've definitely got to think about. They're obviously playing Florida State this year, but they would, hell, they'd drop that to play LSU for sure. Um and probably be happy to take the buyout on it for what it would do to the strength of their their schedule. So I was actually thinking about the Broncos as well, shockingly enough. You know, like you said, they're one of those teams that, that are always right there at the forefront of everybody's mind going into a season when you're talking group of five. Uh, but, you know, I was thinking of it from the standpoint of you know, they made their mark against Oklahoma back in that Fiesta Bowl at the end of the, the 06-07 season. How great would it be to get the other titan of the Big 12, especially in a year where the Longhorns are looking, you know, I mean, there's there's endless eternal off-season hope in Austin for sure. Um, you know, it's all, next season knows always this season where the Longhorns rise up again um, until it isn't, and the, the next season is. But, you know, there's a lot of hype coming into this year. I could easily see them being a top 15 team to start the year, um, the way people are talking about them with Sam Ellinger uh, back in the fold. And I, I think it's one of those things where – It'd be it'd be a great test for Boise. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned when you talked about them, they've also got plenty of talent back to to live up to their billing as a Cinderella hopeful. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to see either one of those games. Really, you know, put it in Arlington, put it in the Superdome, put it. It, it, the home site, you know, either in Austin or Baton Rouge, honestly, you're probably going to make the most money putting it in those stadiums and getting some of the cut to the, you know, the bigger schools, their bigger stadiums. So I, I love it. I'd love to see Boise State get that shot. And if they could do it keeping Florida State on their schedule, all the better because then they could get two, you know, power five 
uh, notches on the belt. So, yep, absolutely. That's a that's a great pool. Boise State against Texas would be a lot of fun. And Texas certainly has the eternal offseason optimism, like you said. Uh, Texas will be back when we no longer have to ask that question, right? <laughs> There's exactly. that's when we know Texas is back as a power when it's no longer a question that has to be posed. Yep. Um, the last one that I had um, was the Willie Taggart Bowl. So mm. having FAU get a crack at Florida State this year. Uh, the Owls certainly have a pretty stock cupboard from when Lane Kiffin left uh, to go to Ole Miss. They, you know, coming off a second Conference USA title in three seasons. Ton of talent still in Boca. Um, and, you know, we both discussed how we felt Taggart probably didn't get a fair shake. Um, in Tallahassee, gone after just two seasons. So, and also Florida Atlantic and Florida State have never have somehow never played football against one another. So, I think it would be interesting to see Taggart take his Owls into Tallahassee and try to steal a win against Florida State. And it wouldn't stun me if they were able to do it, to be honest, because we know Mike Norvell has his hit work cut out for him in Tallahassee to build back up. Um, the talent base at Florida State, which was what Taggart was trying to do because most of the issues, I think, and this is a separate conversation, can be traced back to, you know, Jimbo Fisher's departure um, from the Seminoles. So I think that would be fun, a lot of revenge game factor on the line there. It's wild to think that they've never matched up before. You know, we, we think about that with these schools that are all in the same state and – I'm sure we could trace some of those similar lines with schools in, like, Texas and whatnot. And it kind of blows my mind. Like, how have these schools not played one another? You know, if you're going for a paycheck game, they're right there in your backyard. Take that one. But, yeah, I'd love to see that. That would be fun. And you're right about Taggart. You know, we've definitely talked about this. I think it's interesting that they went the avenue with Norvell now because, honestly, you're getting Taggart minus the year at Oregon because Taggart was that hot, you know, group of five coach up-and-comer. He had his year at Oregon and got his chance to go back to, to his dream job. And I get it, you know. Obviously, the dream turned into a nightmare, but I think part of that nightmare was expectation versus time allotted to put those realities into place. And, uh, you know, that's the story of coaching. We, we don't need to belabor that too much now, but that's just the story of coaching in the 21st century is, you know, they used to always talk about a coach getting five years to put his players into place. <laughs> you're lucky to have two now before they start talking about the hot seat with you. I mean, some coaches, you talk about it in the middle of their first season, and it's just, I I, I want to pump the brakes on it, but at the same time, if you're reporting on it and people are starting to talk about it, these are the stories that people are already starting to tell themselves, and it's it's wild. Yeah, I mean, Taggart lost the first game of his first season in that much-hyped opener on Labor Day against Virginia Tech, and there was already people calling for his head after just one game. Yeah, and one game where you knew you were going to have some growing pains because you just lost your national championship coach who bolted town because the cookie jar was completely, you know, empty. So... It, it, it takes time, folks, and honestly, it's going to take time with, with you know, with Norvell and company as well, and don't jump the gun on that one, folks. You've got another good coach there, and instant success is not going to fall into place. You didn't have instant success like that with Bobby Bowden for as long and as incredible as that streak was there in Tallahassee. So don't get your expectations too high too soon. It's all I'm going to say about that. And then I'm going to throw out my last pick because um, 
you know, Memphis came through as last year's group of five champion of choice, getting to play in the Cotton Bowl, and honestly putting on a good show for a while before they fell against Penn State, but it was, you know, it was in a, a, a shootout all the way. They put up, what, like 39 points? It was like 53-39, I think, was the final score. So, you know, kept it within a couple touchdowns, and... uh Obviously did a number on a really good Nittany Lions defense. So I think Memphis is right there in the hunt again this year. I'd love to see him get a shot against another Big Ten team there in the regular season. And that one's the Buckeyes. Give them the Buckeyes. The uh, Memphis has never played Ohio State. Not once in the history of these two schools. And, you know, with Justin Fields and company, the Ohio State's going to be right there in the thick top two, top three in the preseason polls. They're a hot commodity. They're going to be the team to beat in the Big Ten for sure. And I think Memphis is that team out out west that, until further notice, that's who everybody else has to go through. So I, I would love to see them. You know, we saw Cincinnati go to the horseshoe and fizzle last year. And that was, you know, one of the few blemishes on their record. But I would love to see Memphis get that chance. Can they do what the Bearcats couldn't last year? Yeah, and that's another, you know, Ohio State's shown, too, that they're not afraid to book those kinds of games against power teams from the group of five, like you said, playing Cincinnati last year and whatnot. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see that as well. I, I I think these were great choices all around. Hopefully, uh, if you all out there listening have any thoughts of your own, just games that you've been really itching to see um, it, in the Cinderella vein, those group of five versus power five stories, or even FCS versus power five, if you've got any of those out there, uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. For now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a bit about stadiums and uh, the national championship game. Stay tuned. Welcome back from our break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We talked about Power 5 versus Group of 5 matchups we'd love to see in 2020 in our previous segment. Now we're turning our attention to Stadiums that don't normally host college football for most of the year, uh, that aren't, you know, regular participants uh, with a a host team, and uh, that we think would be great sites for the college football national championship, um, but have never previously hosted the game. Uh, So yeah, it's one of those things where you've got a couple of different things in play there. You know, these aren't campus stadiums where we see because it would be don't get me wrong it'd be fun to see a a college football national championship game at the big house or at you know um Notre Dame stadium or you know Beaver stadium here in state college would be amazing or down there in Alabama you know there are some of these temples of the sport where it'd be absolutely awesome to see a game and frankly, you have the space for more people than you do at most pro stadiums. But that's really not what the spirit of this was. So we're looking at these non-college stadiums that, you know, typically tend to host the national championship game. You know, those those stadiums like the Superdome, like, I mean, I guess Hard Rock Stadium is technically the Hurricanes' home stadium as well. But, you know, it's an NFL stadium first and foremost. Um, Even You know, the Rose Bowl would be the closest thing that we could say is a college football stadium. But honestly, while the Bruins call it their home stadium, the Rose Bowl was the Rose Bowl. And the Bruins are lucky renters to, to have, you know found such a beautiful apartment in such a tough rental market as LA. (laughs) So we think about these stadiums as outside the fray of that day-to-day life in in college. Um, So 
what are some of the stadiums that you would just absolutely love to see a game played at, John, that fit this sort of mold? The first one that really hit me was the new Raiders Stadium in Las Vegas, Allegiant Stadium, just because Vegas is such a fun place and such a, you know, crazed town with sports and sports gambling and everything. And really, I think it would give college football a really good opportunity to lean into gambling as they really should. Um, just like a lot of pro sports are starting to do college uh, the NCAA won't do it anytime soon, but would be smart to lean into that as well, because that's one of the more fun aspects of talking about college football is handicapping picks against the spread and talking about over-unders and any other kind of prop bets you can think of for each game. So it would be fun to christen that stadium uh, with a college football national championship game. Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. I'll I'll just say that stadium would be fun. And yes, the fact that UNLV is going to be a tenant there does not mean... It, it's kind of like Hard Rock Stadium in that regard, you know, where the Hurricanes play there, but it's not the Hurricanes Stadium. This right. is the Raiders Stadium, and the Rebels will be lucky to share some small bit of space within it. Um, so yeah, I think it totally fits the mold in that regard. It's a stadium that, you know, I'm excited to see. It seems like the PAC 12 will be there as soon as they possibly can to play the, the, their championship game. Cause it's obviously not working at Levi's stadium, but I think, I think a venue like Las Vegas gives you that sort of centralized location for everybody in the conference and a hub that it's fairly easy to get cheap tickets to from most places around the country that I think that'd be a great spot. Um, one I was thinking about is, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about the stadium of the future. I, I, I first gravitated and thought about the stadium of the past. Um, you know, the cotton bowl has held a lot of incredible games over the years. It holds the red river shootout every year. I mean, it's the house that Doak built, but the one thing that the cotton bowl has never done is host a national championship game. And I'm not talking about the cotton bowl game, everybody, um, the cotton bowl classic as they call it, that isn't played at the cotton bowl anymore but is rather held at AT&T Stadium there in Jerry World every year. Um, no, I'm thinking about that 92,000-seat behemoth that sits there right in Fair Park in Dallas. And, you know, it, it is kind of like the Rose Bowl in that regard, where it's one of those last few purpose-built stadiums for a bowl game, you know, for that that is inextricably linked with a bowl game that sadly is no longer at that venue anymore. But, you know, this would be the biggest venue that a college football playoff national championship game has ever been held at uh, with 92,100 capacity. And I just, how cool would it be to take it just, you know, that throwback to yesteryear once you know, rather than having it up the road in Arlington. Yeah, so, I mean, the Cotton Bowl should be played at the Cotton Bowl. That's another argument to have on a different day. But, yeah, no, absolutely. I'm actually kind of surprised that the National Championship hasn't been played there over the years. So, definitely interesting there. It's, I also, Zach, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, it, it, it's just had, it certainly had an influence on the National Championship race, but... I mean, that game, it's interesting, in the BCS era, fell to second-tier status. And then before that, you know, it was also there in second-tier status, even when you go back to the Bull Coalition and the Bull Alliance, because it didn't get included as one of those big games, which is why BYU was pissed off they had to play there when they were the number five team in the country back in 96. Because unfortunately, this really historic, long-standing game for a long time kind of fell to that same spot as the Sun Bowl on the other side of the state, you know, where they're really old, 
you know, sort of anachronisms still surviving from the 1930s um, that didn't get this sort of glossy veneer that fell on the Rose Bowl and on the Sugar Bowl and on the Orange Bowl. Right. So at least that's another thing the college football playoff has remedied is getting the Cotton Bowl back to its rightful perch. Yeah. Um, I had a, an idea, and I'll give you two right here. I'm going right. to kind of go out of order. I thought about taking college football international. I, don't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you did the same thing, just knowing you and knowing your international flavor on things, particularly with you being a bigger soccer fan than I am and everything, too. But, you know, the NFL does it every year where there's games played in London and there's games played in Mexico City. So I thought it would be fun if we took college football to London and played the national title game at Wembley Stadium or we took it to Mexico City and played it at Estadio Azteca. I thought that would be pretty fun to try to get an international flavor to it. Uh, I'm not sure how well it would do there um, or not do, but it would be an interesting experiment to see if we could get an international um, audience interested in, in college football. You know, I was thinking about that as well. Um, I definitely had Mexico City on my list. I also had uh, the Olympic Stadium in Montreal on the list since it's, you know, it's a stadium that's proven it can hold football games with the Alouettes playing there. And it's a 66,000 seat stadium, which puts it right in line with other venues that have hosted the, the championship game before. Obviously not the most modern of venues, considering it was, you know, it's it's a remnant of the 1970s, but it, it it's still, you know, an, uh, an iconic little piece of history that would be accessible enough to take it outside of the country that I think that's probably your easiest access point to test the waters on it. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see it at Estadio Azteca. I, I think it'd be really fun there. Um, I was also thinking with the way the Bahamas Bowl has been really fun to see in recent years. Um, I don't think taking it to the Bahamas, but I'd love to see it at like the Kensington Oval in Barbados, um, which is a little bit bigger cricket oval there that could hold it. Um, it's only like 28 or 30,000 seats though. So that's really sort of, it's just like FIFA, you know, when they're looking at hosting a World Cup, you have a minimum number of seats that each stadium you're putting in your plan has to have. And so I think that sort of disqualifies some of these places I was looking at in terms of, you know, Caribbean venues that would be fun to do that with. But who knows, you know, if there's a way to build temporary seating in around it, because obviously a cricket oval is going to have more space than a football field. So, possibly. Right. But yeah, I think the international flavor is a great idea with it. Um, you know, another one I kind of wanted to bring it back to, to the States, but take it outside of the realm of the sport itself, you know. Um, one I was thinking about was Dodger Stadium in L.A., um, you know, back in 2012 when the the Rams and Chargers and Raiders were all talking about wanting to move to L.A. still, um, they were floating a lot of proposals about, you know, playing in Dodger Stadium. And so, you know, it's been shown feasible that you can put a football field in there. You could make the actual dimensions of it all work fine. It's not like when they played the bowl game at was it Wrigley where they could only play in one direction <laughs> um, because of the way the wall was situated? Um, you know, you're not going to have any issues like that. And, it, you know, it's, it's a 56,000-seat baseball stadium. You know, it's a, it's a huge ballpark, and I think it, it, it's big enough, and it's an iconic enough venue that has that sort of crossover appeal that I think that'd be a fun one to to sort of diversify the, the venues that you have. Nice. I, it's funny, and we've been doing these things so long together, the podcast and talking the sport together, that we have such similarities here, because I also chose a baseball stadium, but Fenway Park came to my mind. It's probably too small. It's only like 27,000 seats at Fenway Park, and it could have the same issues as Wrigley Field had when they had the bowl game there. I have no idea. 
I'm guessing the big green monster in left field would probably cause some issues. But it would be I thought it would be kind of fun to have, you know, one of the most historic ballparks in Major League Baseball be the host site. And I don't know if you could it probably wouldn't work logistically, but it just something about it seemed fun to watch, you know, a quarterback scrambling out and then chunking a pass over the green monster to throw it away or something like that. That'd be awesome. Yes, that just kind of made me laugh. So I thought that was one that popped into my mind. It's funny we both chose baseball stadiums. You know, when you're looking at non-college venues in the United States, especially with the size of stadiums, you know, you're pretty much either looking at NFL stadiums or you're looking at baseball you know, you're looking at ballparks um, because, you know, obviously you're not going to hold it in a basketball or hockey arena. You know, size-wise, you have issues shoehorning it into that space. You know, that's why arena football exists and not putting what, you know, the outdoor game inside that space. And then, you know, you could look at soccer-specific stadiums, but those are all smaller you know, at most you're looking at a 30, 35,000 seat stadium. And that's the same thing I was talking about with, with cricket in the in, in the Caribbean is you've got that same issue of scale. So, you know, I, I think when you're looking at this, you also have to think about the history, which is why I like, if you can, obviously that's the, the, you know, $150,000 question there is, can you fit the dimensions of the football field into there comfortably to make it work at Fenway? That'd always be the biggest question when you're dealing with older ballparks. But if you can, that would be a hell of a, a hell of a place to play for sure. So, you know, I was also thinking we often see, you know, I like that we've been looking at some of these you know, you looked at Boston there, for instance. Bowl games, by and large, were kind of a Southern creation. You know, with the Rose Bowl selling Pasadena to the country at a time of the year when everybody's socked in with snow. And, you know, it quickly followed suit. That's why you have places like Dallas and Miami and New Orleans and... El Paso even, you know, it didn't necessarily work out as well for little old old El Paso out there, but, you know, the sentiment was the same, and by and large with the postseason, we see teams scattered across the southern United States when, when they're, they're setting up for the postseason, so, you know, I also wanted to think about some northern opportunities, and so when I was thinking of NFL stadiums, much as I hate to think about it in terms of they're also the host of the Seattle Sounders, but CenturyLink Field in Seattle. You know, it's a 72,000-seat stadium. It's a northern stadium, but it's in, you know, the Pacific Northwest where you have more temperate winters. You're not going to have to worry necessarily about an ice bowl there. And so I think if you're holding an outdoor northern um you know, championship game like that, that'd be a great place to test the waters with something like that. Because you have a modern, you know, a modern facility, modern amenities, skyboxes, everything you need to sell for the, the big wigs and the people who actually hoover up the money from this because it's not going to the players. I'm on that high horse. I'll get off there. Um, but, you know, like just this idea, you've got the space that's the right size for it. You've got the climate that's going to be accessible to play this game in. And, you know, it, it kind of tempers the, the talk about everything's always played down in the South for this. Why don't we, you know, other parts of the country ever get that opportunity? So I, I, I think in, in, in that regard, Seattle at CenturyLink is probably the best option to make that sort of thing happen because... You know, I was thinking about places like Mile High Stadium, Lambeau Field, you know, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. All would be incredible to see a college football game played at. But when you're talking about the second week of January, it might not be the best option for 
college kids to be go traipsing around in that. And it might not give us the best, you know, the best environment. You know, it's not championship game environment necessarily. Although it makes for great drama and great TV for all of us. But See, it's funny you mentioned that because number five on my list was Lambeau Field. Uh, and I and I understand the the pitfalls you have with it potentially snowing and bad weather, but you know what? Football was meant to be played outdoors in any type of weather. NFL teams do it all the time. If you want to book your ticket to the Super Bowl, many teams have had to traverse up to Lambeau and try to beat the Packers there in the bad weather, or beat the Bears in Chicago, or something like that. So I think it would be a ton of fun to watch a college football national championship game that's played in a blizzard at Lambeau Field. Like, it would just be a blast watching those kids run around in the snow, fight like hell, you know, fight, scratch, and claw trying to win that trophy. And then it would also be fun just to watch them do the Lambeau Leap. I think that would be a blast to do. So Lambeau was actually the last spot on my list. I also had a crazy idea that popped into my head while we were discussing all this to play a, a national title game at like Daytona International Speedway or something like that. Yeah. Because that's over 100,000 seats. There's precedent there too because we just had a couple years ago what Tennessee and Virginia Tech, I believe, played a game at Bristol yep. um, Speedway. So, you know, there's precedent for that being possible. Um, so I thought that would be cool with Daytona probably being the most historic site for NASCAR. Um, I thought it would be really fun to to potentially throw a game there, too. That'd be really interesting, for sure. It makes me wonder about places like Churchill Downs or Belmont Park Ooh. as well, where uh, you very well could probably fit a football field on the infield inside of the track. Shouldn't be a problem, I mean, even with whatever, you know, architecture is already up in place around it i'm sure you could manipulate and and get that in there so i think that'd be something fun as well you know see a a a title game for the roses no that sounds yeah churchill downs would be fantastic that sounds awesome so um so yeah you know i i i think I love the idea of Lambo as well. Obviously, I think that'd be a hell of a fun place to see it. I was more trying to think, what's your barrier to entry? You know, get one game in the North first outdoors and then get the next one. So I think that's probably the second one you can slide in there from the history standpoint. Um, and obviously, also, if you're playing up north, you've got, you know, the dome stadiums like, what is it, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis and Ford Field in Detroit and Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis has obviously been a good host for the Big Ten Championship game, you know, since that launched. Um, but damn it, outdoor football. I, I'd love to see that in, in northern climates, so... We were thinking on this the same sort of track with that, definitely. Um, yeah, I think all around. One other place I think is interesting that has never hosted a national championship game yet, um, despite having you know a new NFL stadium or a new-ish NFL stadium that's you know proven capable of hosting championship games, is uh, um, Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Uh, you know, they host the ACC championship every game every year or have for most of the past decade. I think for one year it was in Orlando. But yeah, for the most part, you know, they draw 60,000, 70,000 people there every year. It's a 75,000 seat stadium. So they've proven that they can fill it to capacity for college football games. I think that's one that's right there in the same vein as, you know, stadiums in Atlanta or New Orleans or, or Miami where the quality's there and it's the same sort of environment that I could totally see a game getting put there in the near future. No, yeah, absolutely. Definitely no real um, issues with that on my end. There's certainly all the capabilities, all the things you would need to be able to do it there. Yeah. A very accessible airport, too, if you think about it, a lot of very accessible airport in Charlotte. A lot of flights get routed through there anyway, so I mean, it'd be really easy for travel and everything like that. Yeah, definitely. And that's 
you know, just like when we were talking about Vegas as well, when you're taking, you know, you're trying to drum up interest, taking that into consideration is huge because, um, you know, as fun as it would be to have a game in Green Bay, it's not nearly as easy to get to Green Bay as it is to Vegas or to Charlotte. So, um, or even Mexico City for that matter. Very true. Any other stadiums that, that that are stuck on your mind that have popped up since we've been talking, John, or should we should we call this a wrap for the week? Uh, that, that the Speedway was the last one that had just kind of popped into my head while we were talking, and I wanted to bring up uh, as ridiculous as it probably would be, and I and some of these would certainly be out of the realm of possibilities, but we're just having fun and trying to find where would be really interesting places to hold these kind of games. This is the kind of crap we talk about all off-season, everybody. Um, You know, just these little thought experiments of what would you like to see? And, uh, you know, as the off-season continues on, you're going to be hearing more and more of it. So hopefully you've been enjoying. I know I always have tons of fun talking with you about these, John. Um, And, you know, you shoot out something like the Speedway, and I immediately come back with the racetrack, you know, like thinking the ponies. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the fun of things like this, because I I would say to all you fans out there, the best way to sort of stave off that, I I don't know, it's not cabin fever because it's summertime, but, you know, it's the spring and summer that you're fighting through. But to stave off that, you know, that that sort of withdrawal symptom, talk it out. Talk out random things like this. Go get a pint or two. You know, talk some some theoreticals like this because it's a great way to keep your football mind moving. um, You know, kill a little bit of time and, and, and get you excited about football again without getting sad the fact that it's still months away. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully this was fun. Hopefully it stimulates you to, to go out there and have some of these conversations yourself as well. And as always, you know, I mentioned it last segment, shoot us a message on Twitter. If there's something, you know, that really did pop into your mind at Z Begalke, at JL Mitchell 93, we'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, if you have a topic that you've been chatting about as well that you'd love to hear our thoughts on, we love hearing that as well. On that note, John, I'm going to bid you adieu. It's been so great getting to talk with you again. As always. And uh, great getting to talk with all of you out there listening. Um, We're here every Wednesday on the Spreaker Network uh, talking for fan-sided in the Saturday Blitz podcast. Uh, We'll be with you again next Wednesday to keep your mind moving and your college football uh, conversation invigorated. So thanks for tuning in.